1: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller.
2: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg
1: Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, now let's get some more color on the jobs data that we had this morning. Dana Peterson, chief economist and Center Leader of Economy, Strategy, and Finance at the Conference Board joins us. Dana, what was your takeaway from the jobs data that we received this morning?
3: Well, yes, you know, the 199 k payrolls print undershot market expectations, but I still think it's a good number, especially given the spread of Omicron. And honestly, I think, you know, the, uh, you know, roughly half a million job gains that folks were anticipating may have been a bit aggressive let's look back at December. We had many people who were getting sick. Um, Many uh, in-person services activities are getting canceled. And so it didn't really seem like the greatest environment for big payroll additions. And I would say that, you know, any continued gains in labor market indicators should be viewed constructively by the Fed and uh, positive for the Fed to continue on its path of of finishing up QE taper probably by March and adding uh, rather uh, raising interest rates three or four times this year.
4: How are you thinking about the unemployment rate uh, that continues to check lower and then the labor force participation rate? It was interesting that we heard comments from Bullard yesterday saying that pre-pandemic levels are no longer an appropriate benchmark as we're thinking about some of these job uh, indices that we've been following.
3: Sure. You know the unemployment rate has really collapsed. It's now at 3.9 percent. It's getting very close to three and a half percent, which is where we were uh, before the pandemic. Uh, When you look at the participation rate, I would have to agree with um, President Bullard that maybe we shouldn't be looking at the pre-pandemic level. Uh, Since then, we've had a wave of retirements. Many of those folks are probably not coming back to the labor market. And so that's going to depress uh, the participation rate. We also are still in the midst of this pandemic. Many people are still afraid of getting infected. There's still child care issues. You have you know, over 100,000 child care workers that are still missing. I would suggest that with all of that, we have to take the, the participation rate with a grade of salt.
1: So how do you think the Federal Reserve is going to parse the data that they saw this morning?
3: I think that they're going to say that uh, we are either very close to, or we have achieved full employment. Um, look at the gains that we've seen uh, uh, just the since the, uh, the pandemic. Um, we have roughly, uh, you know, four million people, let's say, that are still missing from payrolls compared to 21 million, which is where we were at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, And I think also when you look at the details of the report, we had gains everywhere except for retail and, I think, temp employment. And so we didn't see big gains in leisure and hospitality, which makes sense given the fact that in-person services are still being affected by the pandemic, which we're still in. So I would imagine that, again, with the labor market, the Fed is probably okay with these numbers and that their concerns are still going to remain squarely on inflation. If you look at average hourly wages, they were up 7% over the last nine months. That's that's really outstanding. And when we look at the CPI and the PCE deflator, those measures continue to climb. And I think that's going to be the focus for the Fed.
4: Dana, I am curious, though. We had a Federal Reserve a few years ago saying that they're going to let inflation run hot because they're really focused on... This new definition of full employment and we're seeing the unemployment rate for black Americans actually rising now to 7.1%. It's being led by black women. Is the Fed sort of backtracking on that shift that it made a few years ago because inflation is turning out to be a bigger issue than we thought?
3: I don't think so. If we think about the statements from policymakers, that policymakers over the last months, um, some of them are of the opinion that we've already achieved the inflation target, right? We're we're notably above the inflation target, and that um, given the fact that, again, if we are very close to full employment or we've achieved full employment and many metrics for other demographic groups, um, even women, the participation rate picked up, and certainly for Hispanic women – um, and Hispanic males and black males, the data are better, that we're still very consistent with that revised uh, mandate regarding the labor market and inflation. And again, we're, we're kind of beyond in terms of inflation, and so it makes sense that the Fed should be focused on that right now and should look to adjust policy accordingly.
1: Dana, are you concerned at all about wage Inflation, we saw the year-over-year gains a little bit better than expected, up 4.7%. Is that a concern for you?
3: Yes, it definitely is. Uh, it, It certainly does reflect the fact that we have these severe labor shortages. And these severe labor shortages are a reflection of a number of factors, some of them directly related to the pandemic, others because we have an aging demographic. And labor shortages are probably not going to go away even after the pandemic is over. And so we have to be very careful. Certainly, the Fed has to look at the interaction between rising wages and rising inflation. Um, the last time we, uh, that I remember, uh, uh, Chair Powell said that the Fed did not see um, a wage price spiral developing. But that certainly is a risk. And that would certainly factor into uh, how extensively the Fed looks to tighten policy.
4: On that note, when we are reading the 2022 investment outlooks, inflation, the risk of a policy error are top of mind with many more mentions than even the COVID variant. And so I am curious when you think, you know, what is the risk of a policy error and and when do you think that that risk will be behind us?
3: Sure, I guess, you know, there could be a number of different policy errors. Uh, The key one is you know, did the Fed wait too late? And certainly, as you mentioned, the revised uh, policy in terms of uh, inflation and labor markets, no, the Fed is, is consistent. And certainly, if they were going to allow uh, inflation to run a little hot, they've done that. And if they were going to allow more patients for seeing the labor markets improve, they've done that as well. So uh, the, 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 the issue now is how do they calibrate um, the taper, How do they calibrate interest rate hikes and how do they calibrate potentially running off the balance sheet? And so I think those are the the big risks out there. And certainly uh, we're going to see those risks over the course of this year and potentially over the course of next year.
1: Dana, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate getting your thoughts on this job day. Dana Peterson, she's a chief economist and center leader of economy, strategy and finance at the conference board. All right, let's go to Tom Gibblehill, founder and CEO of the LaSalle Network. Tom, I know you're talking to employers out there every day. What are you seeing in the market? I mean,
6: I think the numbers, you know, really speak for themselves. People get really focused on the glossy of, oh, we've only added 200,000 jobs in December. Unemployment dropped to under 4%. Wages year over year increased almost 5%. Those are unheard of numbers. Yep. In spite of a global pandemic and the fact that if unemployment drops so low there aren't people to fill the jobs and we're still adding two hundred thousand jobs. This is not a bad sign. This is a good month.
4: And Tom, it's interesting when you also talk about this week we got the job opening survey, the quit rates at another record high. How is the great labor shortage? What do you see?
6: Well, the, the real the, the problem with the labor shortage is COVID, period, pure and simple, is that we've got a situation that no one has ever experienced before. It's been going on for two years. People have been working remotely and you have people due to fear, due to child care, due to school closures. Right. I'm in Chicago right now. The Chicago public yep. school system is all doing remote Remote school, right? We've got this challenge, so we're never going to have um, until COVID gets "quote unquote" under control, whatever that may mean, uh, a real accurate view. We can't compare things to pre-COVID because it's not pre-COVID, and people Tom, are trying to find that common denominator. There isn't one, right? So, Tom, the the
1: I don't know the four or five folks that have million folks, I'm sorry, that have left the workforce.
6: Have they really left? The workforce permanently? Well, no. I Number one, I don't think it's permanently. Okay. Number two, I think what data we haven't gotten, and my my belief is, and this is purely a, a belief, is that the majority of those people come from two-income households. So you've got people that were working in, in some capacity, and when you look at that because wages have increased so much, their spouse is making more money, and they don't need that delta between what the spouse is compensation is increased and the cost of daycare Mm -hmm. and how little they were making, that's why they're pulling out of the the workforce. So I think you're seeing that it's a variety of reasons. They will come back. Inflation hasn't even started to really hit yet. And we'll see what happens with the, the strand. I mean, I think that the real great equalizer with COVID has been this latest strand because we're seeing a lot more cases reported, but not as many hospitalizations, not as many deaths and people are starting to get sick of it. And I think come spring and summer, you're gonna see labor numbers really hop up on people coming back into the workforce to take advantage of the economy and make money.
4: Tom, another big theme that I've noticed from most of the people that we speak with is that the seasonal worker, they're trying to hold on to them and make them permanent because there is such a labor shortage. Are you seeing that where the temporary and the seasonal workers, they're being held onto?
6: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Because what we're seeing is is, uh, instead of seasonal spikes, we're seeing just current economic boom. And that means that the economy continues to grow and companies continue to have record profits. We're seeing EBITDA numbers of privately held companies increase, and companies can't get enough people, so they've brought people on at seasonal, and they're trying to convert those people to permanent jobs. We're seeing our temp-to-perm numbers, people who are temporary and get converted onto permanent payrolls of, of our client organizations, increase as companies are trying to do that.
1: Hey, Tom, thanks so much for joining us. We always appreciate getting your perspective when we talk about the labor market and jobs numbers. Uh, Tom Gimble, he's a founder and CEO of LaSalle Network, a uh, national staffing recruiting uh, firm uh, focusing on temp workers, contract staffing, as well as direct hires. Markets here trading off. We have the S&P off about a half a percent. NASDAQ once again uh, leading the way lower. Let's get more color on the jobs market with Joni Biley, Chief Workforce Analyst at EmployBridge. Jeannie, what was your, I'm sorry, Joni, what was your takeaway from the jobs number we saw this morning?
7: Well, good morning, and thanks for having me on. You know, today's report was a bit of a surprise. I think the headline number was very disappointing to only see 199,000 jobs created. Um, but digging into the report, I will say there is a lot of good news. There, there was job growth. In many of the sectors, um, we did see 53,000 jobs come back in leisure and hospitality. We saw jobs created in construction and manufacturing, um, certainly in retail and healthcare. However, the job growth was not as robust as we thought it was going to be. So um, still moving in the right direction, but, you know, we're not... The labor market still hasn't really recovered from the pandemic, and certainly we're seeing that in in these numbers.
4: When we talk about a labor market and from your perspective, a lot of maybe structural shifts that have undergone, we've heard from a few Fed presidents that looking at pre-pandemic levels of employment or labor force participation is no longer appropriate. From your perspective, how are you thinking about those who are looking for jobs, those who are not, and if there has been sort of a structural shift where we're not going back to the way things were before? Yeah, things are definitely different. And
7: certainly one of the biggest challenges we have as a U.S. economy right now is labor participation. It is the biggest challenge we're seeing for businesses. They are struggling to find workers. And we just don't have enough people participating in the workforce. It does seem that you know many unemployed aren't searching for work right now, um, and that could be still for a few reasons. It could certainly be COVID concerns. It could be family care issues, um, and some of them may just have a little bit more of a financial cushion, and they're just not, you know, coming back to work yet. But the jobs are out there. We have. Over 10 million, there's 10.6 million open job postings. And to only create, you know, close to 200,000 jobs for the month of December uh, really points to that disconnect, right? It's that true supply and, and demand issue. The demand is there, and we just we don't have a supply of people that are willing to participate in the workforce. So we need to encourage people to get back to work. Um, that's one thing uh, we're seeing declining rates certainly for females in the workforce. Uh, we're seeing that you know more of the baby boomers that maybe stopped working during the pandemic are not coming back to work. so um, we need to figure out ways to get more people participating in the workforce and um, otherwise you know I, I think businesses are going to really see the impact in their earnings, and they're not going to be able to produce their products and deliver their services, um, certainly in the future. And that's going to impact earnings in Q2 and uh, Q3 of this year.
1: Joni, talk to us about immigration and how that may be impacting the participation rate in the jobs uh, fulfillment issue, particularly on the lower end of the economic scale. We've had, obviously, a curtailment in immigration, legal and illegal immigration. Is that an issue that needs to be addressed? Uh, Is that one of the causes?
7: It certainly is a concern and a challenge. Um, With all the immigration um, and illegal immigration that we are seeing, you know, many of those people will obviously becoming, you know, over and looking for work. And they usually end up finding those jobs, right, that those, you know, manual labor, um, you know, hourly jobs, but they're not, you know, they're working for employers that aren't following the guidelines of, you know, paying people legally in the country. Um, there's So there's so many issues with that, certainly on the lower hourly um, wage scale, we see that that will impact, of course, legal workers in the U.S., where um, they may not be getting those jobs because those jobs are going to the illegal workers, and they're taking the jobs for less money. So there, that can certainly impact those hourly wages. Um, and you know, the one thing I, you know, I can tell you from EmployBridge, we we place you know, 80,000 to 90,000 workers on a weekly basis. And many of them are in manufacturing and logistics um, and hourly positions. And of course, we follow all the guidelines and, you know, make sure that there's I-9 documentation. Um, but we see that there are companies out there that aren't following that. You can really get yourself into into some trouble and some difficulty. Um, but we need to get the, um, we need to get immigration addressed and make sure that even the people that are here, you know, what are we going to do about making sure that they are working also in safe environments? And how do we do that legally? It's it's certainly a big challenge.
4: Talk to us about some of the, maybe the lower end wages, but really pretty much all across the scale. For the first time, certainly in my lifetime, we're looking at inflation prints of almost 7%. And so a two or 3% wage increase isn't cutting it. I'm still looking at some pretty big negative real wages adjusted for inflation. Are you seeing as we approach some of these big inflationary numbers, wages keeping up and and particularly on the lower end?
7: We are seeing wages move um, a little bit more aggressively than what's reported in the BLS numbers. When we look at for example, our pro drivers business, uh, we're seeing that the drivers' wages are up more like 15 to 16 or 17 percent on a year-over-year basis. Um, so much more than we're seeing in the in the report that we saw today, which I think was about 4.7 percent for an hourly wage, you know, just across the board. Um, manufacturing and logistics. The same thing. It's it's more double digit growth over the last year, Um, and that is just because the market is so competitive. You know, employers cannot find workers, and they are being forced to have to pay more on that hourly rate um, for you know manufacturing logistics positions. So we're seeing a bit more movement in those areas than what is being reported from the Bureau of Labor Statistics.
1: Joni, talk to us about the union worker. We've seen uh, some strikes, some successful strikes. Um, John Deere, for example, just, just recently. Talk to us about the union size of, of the labor force. Are they getting more uh, leverage vis-a-vis the employer?
7: You know, we we don't do a lot of work with unions at EmployBridge, so I'm, I'm not your best expert, certainly, in that area. Um, but what we do see is that, um, certainly there is a need, you know, in, in certain parts of the country. And when I look at even like the teachers unions of, of what they're looking for, um, I think there is certainly a place for unions, um, and really to protect the rights of the workers. Um, we've seen it certainly with airlines as well, but there's, um, Many of the businesses that I'm dealing with um, are not driven by the union worker. And so the employees are a little bit more on their own. Um, and, you know, we look certainly to employers to make sure they're offering the right benefits to their workers, that they have environments to retain them, that they're paying them competitively. And we feel that they're really doing that. I think employers. Um, are focused on employee retention right now. There, there's concerns, right? If that what we hear about the Great Resignation, and that yep. so many people are quitting their jobs, and employers are smart, they're they're getting smarter about how do they focus on strategies to retain their workers. So, just as unions are trying to do that, we certainly see the private employers doing that as well.
4: I am curious the way that benefits have changed. The way that companies are thinking about retaining talent has changed. I remember a few years ago, free snacks or a <laughs> ping pong table, right? We're all the rage. And now it's like, no, I just need flexibility to work from home. And what has that shift been like? What is the biggest ask right now when it comes from what employees are sort of asking for from their employers? Right. I you know it's so funny because I
7: remember those days, too, where we were talking about, like, bring your dog to work day or wear flip-flops, you know, <laughs> the, um, and the ping-pong tables and all that. You know, it, that has definitely changed, and you're absolutely spot on. It's all about workforce flexibility. Um, people want to work from home. They want to be in control a bit more of their hours. Um, they like the hybrid model where maybe they're in the office for a few days and then can work from their home office for a couple of days. So flexibility has risen to kind of the top of the list. Of course, they're looking for great pay um, and health care benefits and paid time off, but flexibility is one of the kind of hottest things that an employer can offer right now to really retain their employees. And I think that speaks to COVID and what we've all gone through over the last few years. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I used to be in a role where I was traveling Every sure. single week, right? And COVID changed that and it's it's funny. Coming out of it, you're like, gosh, I really don't wanna be on a plane <laughs> every week anymore and you know, in the hotel rooms. I'd rather sleep in my own bed. So right. I think they're you know, we've reprioritized what's important to us and I think the workers definitely looking for more flexibility.
1: Hey Joni, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time, giving us your thoughts on today's labor force and labor market Joni Bailey chief workforce analyst at Employee Bridge
5: the countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter economic forum powered by Bloomberg join heads of state influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.
1: I want to switch gears, Taylor. Talk a little bit about the uh, real estate business, particularly kind of the commercial real estate business you walk the streets of new york there's people here but they're just not going up into the office buildings i don't know how that plays out aaron Jodka, national director of capital markets research at colliers uh, joins us here aaron as we begin 2022 here we're dealing with this omicron variant hopefully we're approaching the peak here how are you thinking about the commercial real estate business going forward
2: well, thank you. Uh, yeah it, the 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 pandemic is certainly a challenge and and one of the biggest concerns with investors. Um, we, we recently did a survey uh, of our clients across the globe, and the return to office and and subsequent variants and, and, and omicron and 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 the like with pandemic has been one of the biggest concerns. Other areas that they're worried about are rising construction costs and government policy and regulations, but they're very optimistic on the economic outlook rent growth, and market liquidity. 2021 was a record year for investment sales volume, and we expect 2022 to be another very strong year.
4: When are you hearing about sort of this full return to office if we ever get there? Are are people looking at still leasing out the same commercial space? Are they leasing out more space because we all need more room to socially distance, or is it a lower footprint because only half the office is coming back?
2: Well, it's a mix. So in some cases, you're going to see companies that are continuing to expand. They're getting uh, record amounts of venture capital funding. So they need to scale. They need to grow. They need more space. We're seeing other groups that are finding a balance of of remote work as well as in-office work. Um, And it's really going to differ by industry and by market. So a place like New York will have a different experience than a market like Nashville, um, so we, we will see differences across markets. Um, but ultimately, today, when you look at the unemployment rate, you look at the challenges for employers to hire, they need to be flexible. Um, they can't easily make a mandate and say, everyone back in the office tomorrow, um, or else they run the risk of losing some of their very important talent. And today, it's very challenging to replace those valuable contributors to your organization.
1: All right. Here in New York, you know, we've since almost the beginning of this pandemic, we've seen a at least it's been reported in the press as a just a major migration from new york to florida to a lesser extent texas is that permanent is that a thing is that was that temporary how do you guys think about that when you look at the real estate out there
2: well when you look at migration patterns over time they've generally favored the southeast and the southwest and a lot of that migration comes from the northeast um so that that's not a new trend Um, that happens in boston it happens in New York. It happens uh, across the Northeast. Um, But what we've really seen is that increased population in the Southeast and Southwest has been a magnet for capital. So not only are we seeing new construction, new activity, more jobs in those areas, investors are are focusing on that, particularly on the multifamily side. Multifamily in 2021 drove 41% of all investment sales activity in the country, a record high for that it, absolutely astounding uh, share of activity and it's because of that migration it's because of the uh, rapid rent growth that we're seeing there and the occupancies across multifamily have never been stronger um, but places like New York are, are starting to see you know, recoveries Boston starting to see recoveries you look at the most recent census data um, and the, the biggest challenge has been local migration so sort of um, US based uh, migration International migration is a, is a strength for these markets, but overall migration patterns have been lowered due to the pandemic. There hasn't been as much mobility nationally as well as globally um, in the most recent two-year period.
1: All right, Aaron. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Really appreciate getting your thoughts here. Aaron Jotka, National Director of Capital Markets Research at Collier's.
2: Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973.
1: And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.